listening to The Big Album Show with Paul Dillon and Dan O'Neill. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Big Album Show with me, Paul. And me, Dan. On this pod, we are discussing uh, one of the most uh, interesting, the most fascinating and uh, arguably the best U2 record, which is The Joshua Tree. Now, one of the most interesting things about U2 is what you might term the musical geography of the band. They've never really been an Irish affair. Um, the closest, I suppose, they came to that was on Songs of Innocence, uh, which saw the band you know, plant their flag back in Dublin. But the lens uh, through which this group have seen the world has always been global, and that's been a key part uh, of their success. In the mid-'80s, their view of the world was very much coloured by the North American uh, music, political and social scene. I suppose, in a way, uh, it's the language of globalization, but boy, could they speak it. Uh, the unforgettable fire took up uh, the mantle of the, I suppose, the critique of the North American dream, which we're going to get to in a, in a, in a little bit more detail, uh, with songs like Pride, MLK, and JFK, and America. Um, but the Joshua Tree, and particularly its physical, its visual presentation, uh, planted the band very firmly uh, in North America. Um, and arguably Rattle and Hum, the last of that trilogy, Unforgettable for Joshua Tree and the Rattle, Rattle and Hum, arguably that took it all a bit too far. And then Acton Baby, of course, saw them move their entire musical and emotional focus back to Europe. But back to 1987, this was the year that U2 unleashed the Joshua Tree. Here's my take, Dan. Uh, this is U2's best album. Uh, it produced the tracks which remained live staples and fan favourites for tour after tour. It sent them rocketing to the top of the charts in about 100 countries. Uh, and it's also the most U2 sound of U2 albums in that it's the sound that we most associate the band with. And it's the sound which they would later uh, rebel against. Um, Dan, what do you think of this record? I mean, how did you come across this record originally? What was your first introduction to it? Well, I suppose my first introduction to it was via the singles on it. And I remember, like, I remember watching MTV as a young child and seeing the video for Where the Streets Have No Name. And um, just, in fact, all the videos from this album were, were, were incredibly interesting. Um, but I think you're right about this album being iconic for the fact that it kind of spoke to, you know, Bono's version of America, be it the reality or the, the, the kind of uh, mystical version and, and, and the contrast between the two. And I like the bit you when you mentioned uh, globalization and how you two kind of reflected that because the the Irish um, famous Irish historian Roy Foster talked about the late 20th century in Ireland and he talks about Ireland kind of being in a space where at the breaking down of Irish identity post-independence this kind of you know maiden stancing at the crossroads towards yeah. a more modern kind of outward looking Irishness and he says that Bono occupied an international space as an Irishman representing a new intersection of money art and politics um, so Bono played a kind of a almost like an ambassador role for this new Irishness and 
Yeah, like we had a, a member of the band The Blades on before who were very much contemporaries of early U2. And I think you made the point at the time that whereas The Blades looked towards the UK in terms of their style and music and influence, U2 did very much look towards the United States um, until later on in their career, um, as you mentioned. So yeah, this album is... It, it, it is incredible and like if you just look at the first few tracks on the album talk about you know quality opening tracks you know arguably the greatest songs of U2's career are the first few songs on, on this album you know you have Where the Streets Have No Name I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For With or Without You Bullet the Blue Sky the first four tracks on the album like that is incredible and I mean I could read out the other tracks too and they're all they're all brilliant and um, and, and it's a really, really important piece of work. Like it's it's cinematic in nature in that, as you say, you two do occupy places in their music. And almost every song on this kind of is set in a particular place. Like the, 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 the opening sound of the album, that kind of uh, mellow organ-y kind of sound maybe um, at the beginning of Where the Streets Have No Name it's almost like a sunrise above the desert when you're listening to it um, and of course the, 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 the album is named after a type of tree which is very kind of uh, symbolic so and, and has in the, a picture of the Joshua tree on the, on the CD uh, version anyway and there's a little picture um, and, and that has a lot of significance one it, it sets us right there in the kind of the desert in the United States, but also it has a religious significance in that, um, you know, uh, the Joshua tree represents Joshua of the Bible, who was uh, struggling um, in, to, 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 to find a promised land. And, and in many ways, you hear Bono trying to find a promised land through this music. Now, what that promised land is can be interpreted in different ways you know is it the religious promised land is it the american promised land like the mystical america or is it the, the promised land of love and um, with a partner in different songs you hear different kind of uh, resonances so there's so much meat on this album and um, so much to talk about so much to talk about dan and, and so much to be said you could easily do a podcast on what has been said about this album by other artists, uh, by, by critics, by fans. I mean, so much to unpick on what you've said, which actually is a really good introduction to, the, to, to this album in itself. Here's a few things that are on my mind about the, the record, right? Before we came on the pod tonight, we had a long discussion about uh, the current political uh, geopolitical conflicts and geopolitical tensions, and particularly the Russian, uh, the outrageous Russian invasion of, of, of Ukraine. But one of the things we were touching on was the role of the US the, and, and the relationship between the US and U2. And this is really interesting because for me, the band were at their most interesting and to be honest, their most critical of the US and US foreign policy on the Joshua Tree. They never quite got there again in terms of as strong a critique as they had on this record, as they had in 87 on the Joshua Tree. So what they did on, on, on the Joshua Tree was they looked at the idea of the American dream, uh, which is, you know, as Irish people, there's a kind of a deep-rooted uh, attachment to that. You see it coming up in literature again and again and again. 
um, in art and in, certainly in commerce um, and certainly in politics, for better or for worse, often for worse, in my opinion. Um, but the in 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 this, what 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 you two are doing here really is offering a critique of American foreign policy at times. So this is the height of the Reagan period. And uh, on tracks like um, you know, Mothers Have Disappeared and Blood of the Blue Sky in particular, there's a strong critique of American foreign policy because, of course, prior to this record, Bono had been in Nicaragua, praised the Sandinistas and the Sandinista Revolution. He'd been to El Salvador with Ali and he critiqued the uh, US, uh, uh, the role of the US government there. Um, and of course, they'd been on the, the Conspiracy of Hope, the Great Amnesty International uh, in, you know, tour. Um, they'd also done, of course, the uh, Live Aid, which was slightly separate in terms of, in, 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 you know, not slightly separate, but slightly different to to, to those events. Um, but 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 that was it was that was a was a heavy part, I think, of the album in terms of creating some tension. Um, but politically, I think it's when you two were at their most interesting. Um, and I think that it's to their credit, to be frank, that they wrote a song like Bullet of the Blue Sky and they wrote songs from Mother Disappeared, which also, of course, uh, refers to, um, you know, people being disappeared in, in, in Argentina and Chile and, and, and um, the search for justice, the struggle for justice. And I think it's to, to Bono's great credit that he, he wrote those lyrics and, and put them out there. And then, of course, when they returned 30 years later to do the Joshua Tree again and that tour that I saw myself in Crow Park, they went and they, you know, uh, Trump was in power. But was, what was interesting was their politics had changed because then Bono started sort of comparing Trump unfavorably to, re, to, to Ronald Reagan. Um, whereas when they released this album, the, the, you know, there was a critique of US foreign policy there, which I think is to their credit. And I think which is maybe a little bit forgotten, uh, particularly in light maybe of Bono's uh, politics since then. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, the record, it is a critique of the American dream. Um, they, they very firmly their eyes on making a huge U.S. sounding record. Uh, they've been influenced so heavily by U.S. bands and U.S. Music, um, musicians. They'd also had a, a, a relationship with traditional Irish music, which you can't really hear on the record, if I'm honest. But you can hear it if you take the songs apart, I think. Sometimes in their most raw, most basic uh, form, you can hear echoes of Irish traditional music. Um, but I mean, when you when you when you break it down, Dan, what you're talking about here, I think, is U2's finest record. It's possibly not U2 fans' favorite record. I think a lot of U2 fans would probably look to the Unforgettable Fire. Um, but for me, it's where artistically they they were at, you know, maybe their most interesting. Um, I think they took it too far afterwards in Rattling Home, which never quite worked as a record for me or as a, as a film. Um, but when you look at this record, uh, you've got to say this is a band on absolute top form. Huge role, of course, for Daniel Lenoir and Brian Eno, the producers, and Steve Lillywhite as well, who, who mixed the tracks. Um, but, you know, one of the, you, you referenced there yourself, the first four songs, Where the Streets of No Name, uh, Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, With or Without You, Bullet the Blue Sky. Those songs are absolutely crucial to U2. When you look at every single U2 tour since then, they're on the playlist. They're the most consistent parts of the U2 tour package. They were taken off um, the song, the, 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 the tour for the um, Songs of Experience record. They didn't play them live at that stage. Um, and there was a big hole, I thought. I was Again, I was at that gig in Dublin. And there was a hole in the... Uh, in the in the tracks in the in the track list and when you took away 
those songs. Um, but those first four songs alone, so good, so vital, so urgent. And uh, interesting thing about them was that the, the track listing was compiled, um, I think, by Kirsty McCall, uh, who, who she took it away and, and she, uh, she came up with that track listing based on her favourites. And it's absolutely perfect. The track listing is so important, as Adele has pointed out, and they really just nailed it here, didn't they, with that track listing? They did. They did. Uh, incredibly, incredibly strong opening. Um, and one of the things that strikes me in terms of what you said was you talked about kind of you 2 and Bono looking back towards tradition and kind of older styles of music. And Bono, before the release of um, this album, before they wrote the songs for the album, he struck up a relationship with uh, Keith Richards and uh, Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. And uh, he was embarrassed hanging out with them that he didn't know all the blues tracks that they had, uh, that, that they were playing at this session, you know? Um, so it made Bono want to look outside of his traditional influences, which were kind of, you know, punk and new wave music from from the uk and learn more about traditional blues music and gospel music and so on and you can hear that if you if you listen to tracks like i still haven't found what i'm looking for or songs like um red hill mining town effectively the chord progressions in those songs are blues chord progressions maybe maybe a little bit you know changed and but to, to make them sound more modern but you definitely hear the, the blues influence and the, the, the influence of tradition on the music. Um, so, so yeah, what, 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 what about your, your, your favorite tracks from the album, Paul? What, what would they be? Do you want to take one at a time? Maybe. I, I think, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, when you think about it, I mean, you, you, you can't take away the, the singles, the singles were streets still haven't found what I'm looking for with or without you, not in that order, with or without you came first. And I think it's worth discussing those singles and then maybe we can discuss our favourite tracks. I mean, with or without you uh, was the first US number one and it remains, I think it's the most listened to U2 song. Um, and it, it, is an, it is an absolute, it's a, it's a superb reflection really on the tension, I suppose, in Bono's life uh, about, you know, you know, how to live as a rock star. I mean, it sounds very serious and very po-faced, but when you strip it down to the lyrics and you listen to them deeply, uh, you know, it's about maybe tension that we all have. And Bono really nails the lyrics on this album, I think. He he has made some mistakes lyrically down through the years, but here he just nails it. And um, I can't live with or without you. Such a powerful um, chorus. Now, interestingly, one of my favourite versions of that was the version they played. They took some terrific live versions. And when Jerry Ryan, the Irish DJ, so sadly and tragically passed away, U2 played um, at his funeral, but from New York. And they, it was broadcast live on RT2FM. And I remember very well, because it was Jerry Ryan's favourite song, Winner Without You. And, and uh, it, you know that bass, Adam's bass comes in, you know, um, bum, 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 you know how it goes. And... Uh, Bono says, uh, or sings, rather he sings, uh, you two coming, calling from New York on the Rhine line. And then he says, Rhine line still open. And I just thought it was such a terrific, it, the song has great meaning for people, including for myself. Um, and obviously for Jerry Ryan as well. And I think 
that the he, Bono managed to nail a bit of a universal experience, um, you know, and you know, so just a terrific uh, lead single. Still haven't found I'm looking for far more upbeat, far more gospel. Of course, repeated again on the Rattling Home record that followed. Um, terrific lyrics. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Very much that idea of the desert, which is such the, a dominant theme in the record. And there's a very strong religious theme running through this or spiritual theme running through this. But I think it works really, really well. Terrific video of them in Las Vegas and the band. Kind of, you know, you know, the idea of the of, of them in Las. I mean, they were really hitting all the U.S. They were like tourists in a way, you know. They, they you know, they went to Las Vegas first. They were on found I'm looking for, but then of course, where the streets of no name was in in L.A. If I remember correctly, and there's a terrific video for that, which is very very of its time because this is a period where rock and roll and rock music, despite all the evidence to the contrary was always or was frequently presented as a kick against the establishment as somehow dangerous and oh, that almost sounds ludicrous now and, and can be so easily dismissed now but maybe these were just more innocent times the video has them on the top of a liquor store it's a one-story building um but it's just it's just a terrific video and um, in the beginning you have um radio djs talking about setting the scene or describing it um, and then it has you know footage of a police officer you know saying we're going to shut this down and you know it's it, of course it was all it was all, i mean when you actually look at the footage of the interactions between the police and the fans it just looks incredibly innocent i mean i mean the the, the police are practically enjoying the show themselves um but it was a terrific video and um you know bono you know expressed his unhappiness with the lyrics you know at, at a later stage i want to run i want to hide i want to tear down the walls to hold them inside but what if this what that is but that establishes at the beginning of the record is the relationship between the listener and the band when i go there i go there with you um, and it's such a terrific live track so i mean i think those three singles you know they're not my tr top three tracks actually but you've got to put them there as three amazing singles without which i don't think you would see the u2 that we have today because i think they elevated the band to the global uh, phenomenon that they still are yeah when, when you when when you talked about the, the streets have no name and you you talked about bringing the crowd with the band to a different place it's it's something that it's one of these themes that keeps coming up on the big album show that bands in their live setting and in albums as well often bring the listener to somewhere else and you know when i listen to the where the streets have no name i think you know where is where the streets have no name and really it's it's a place that's neither here nor there it's 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 a mystical place it's a place that only something like music can take you to and it is indeed a, an incredible incredible song with or without you um i have a hot take on with or without you now it's a well known hot take um but there's uh, with or without you has what you call what musicians would call a one five six four chord progression. So basically, you know, in a scale, I get I grab the guitar just to show to to play. So you know, in 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 a scale, you have a number of of notes. So the, the, this song is in D. So the the D major scale would be like right. So a one five progression would be you know that's the that's the one note two three four five and so on. So one five six would be sorry so basically one five six four right i'm making a mess of it because i'm under pressure 
but that's the chord progression. So when I play that in D, it sounds like this. I should have tuned my guitar. So you can hear the song with or without you in that. But that is a really, really famous chord progression. It's all the way through popular music. So there's endless amounts of songs with the exact same chord progression. So if you think of, you know, Journey, Don't Stop Believing, you have like, don't stop believing. Listen to the feeling, you know. Um, or if you have James Blunt, Beautiful, No Woman, No Cry, When I Come Around by Green Day, Someone Like You by Adele, Men at Work Down Under, or If I Was a Boy by Beyonce. All of those songs have the same chord progression. It's one of these kind of universal chord progressions that works in, in, in all sorts of songs. And all of kind of the opening songs of this album have those simple kind of chord progressions that are used again and again in popular music and the instrumentation um, from U2, you know, in terms of the bass that you mentioned earlier on, which is kind of very steady pounding um, or even the guitar, like Edge's famous guitar sound with the uh, delay kind of effect. Like all of it is relatively simple, but you two managed to turn it into something absolutely magical. And um, they bring you to that place where the streets have, have no name with their, with their simple music. And I think, and I, 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 I don't say simple music in a kind of a negative way. I think to write a simple pop rock song is one of the hardest things to do, I think. Um, yeah. And I think it's one of the reasons why U2 became such a successful band, particularly in terms of their stadium tours, because when you're playing in a group in a big stadium, you simply it's very hard to play very complex music because of the echo in the stadium and the sound traveling all over the place. So it can sound quite dodgy, really. But U2's music is kind of so straightforward in the best kind of way that it carries through the stadium and it carries on popular radio, but they have so much depth to their music as well. And so I, I, I love that one as well. Then I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Like to me, this is one of the greatest gospel songs that's ever been written. Um, I think it's, it's, it's incredible. And when, when, when I listen to it, I hear, Bono's take and I'm going to get very kind of religious and spiritual here for a moment but it's well known that Bono, Larry and The Edge um, around the time of recording this album or, or beforehand they were very very kind of uh, into Christianity now they, I, I, I think they still are <laughs> but but they, they, they were going through a particular period uh, of interest in, in, the, 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 in, the, in, the, in the subject and when, when I listen to this song, I hear Bono's take on the psalm. So um, if you, you read some of the psalms in the Bible, um, and most of them were kind of are said to be written by King David, but a lot of them have this kind of theme of being like angry with God and kind of going, God, you know, I'm so, so loyal to you. Why do you forsake me? You know, my enemies get away with murder, but like, I can't find you anywhere. It's that kind of vibe. Um, like that's not for bad. And now, but when you think of this song, it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's, it's Bono going, you know, I've done this, I've done that, but I still can't find you. Where are you? Um, so, so it's interesting. It, it's, it's, 
you know, yearning, it, it was a, a word you mentioned earlier on, Paul, and there's definitely loads of yearning in this song. Um, and of course, the great thing about Bono's music and U2's music is that even when they have religious themes like this song or like uh, Mysterious Ways of uh, Octung Baby, they also have a kind of a sexual love vibe to them as well like some of the greatest uh, songs like if you think of songs like Aretha Franklin's version of Say a Little Prayer or you know Praise You which was sampled by Fatboy Slim famously they're songs that could be gospel songs but they could also be directed at a lover as well and um, I still haven't found what I'm looking for it, it is like that and again you have the sense of place in the song and um, and uh, it is it is a gospel song, and Bono even um, recorded versions of this song um, numerous times um, and, and live um, with gospel choirs at various stages. Um, so, so it's 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 a powerful powerful tune that I think is 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 timeless. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, Dan, and, and I, I agree with all that you, that you say. And 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 um, that was a very nice little bit of guitar work. First time on the big album show. I've been looking I, for that. I, I made album. a complete I'm, I'm, mess of it, and the guitar wasn't even tuned. The nerves got to me, man. But like, it, sure, it's no one's it, listening it, anyway, no, no, was, so we get away with it. <laughs> it was people. No, no, quite a lot of people listened to it. I mean, we, we, <laughs> we 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 get right up there to the top of the Irish podcast music commentary charts and other charts. So thank you to our our listeners. I mean. I, I, they're the three singles and, and they're the ones that everyone knows but of the blue sky had remained a fan favorite and remained a key part of uh the live canon right throughout uh the band's history um but for me i mean i the the, the, the song that i love the most and i'm most attached to is red hill mining town um so this was originally scheduled to be a the second single and they made a, a video uh, directed by Neil Jordan, um, which is a terrific video uh, set in a, in a mine. Um, um, and it's about the British miners strike, 84, 85, are set in that period. And it's just an absolutely beautiful song. And I've always felt it was underrated. The band themselves were never quite happy with the way it was recorded. Later, it was re-recorded. But the version that you hear when the band toured the record to mark the 30th anniversary, um, it's much more brassy. Um, and I think that seems to be the sound. They seem to have nailed it. The first That was the first tour they ever played it live. And they seem to have nailed it uh, when, they, when they played it um, on that tour. Now, um, when you look at the video, you see um, Jordan uses the canary in the coal mine really, really effectively. So there's all these images of the canaries and the band releasing the canaries. Larry is literally there hacking away at coal. Um, and it, it, it is just, it's, it's deeply atmospheric. Um, but it's written about, you know, about the 8045 minor strike and I suppose about the decline of the coal industry in, in Britain and, and what happened to it. But one of the interesting things that I feel about it is I, I think that they nailed something there because when you look at the industrialized areas, um, whether it be in you know, US or Britain, uh, France, Brazil, politically, what one of the one of the one for me one of the tragic one of the one of the tragic things, but also one I suppose one of the most interesting things is that they've often been areas where a kind of a much more right wing politics has taken hold, and you know where the old collectivism 
um, you know, has has changed. So, for example, uh, Trump in the Rust Belt in America, uh, Le Pen in parts of the Rust Belt in France, um, Bolsonaro uh, in parts of uh, the deindustrialized areas of of Brazil, um, and of course, uh, we know uh, a, a bit about what's happened in Britain as well. Um, and I just think that they picked up on something very early on there. Um, and they just nailed it with this just terrific song. And, and, and that whole that line, you know, um, the, see the lights go down, you know, and, and you know, I'm hanging on. That's all that's all I've got, got to hold on to. There's just something very, very um, I think deep and meaningful about that song. Now you can kind of critique that and say deep and meaningful. This is all very serious, very po-faced. But you know, they were able to do that on this record and to deliver an emotional punch in a way that I find it quite hard to be cynical about. I mean. And, you know, that song of Redhead Mine and Tyne, it just, it's, it just, you know, and to do a st- song about the minor strike, again, politically shows that this is a very interesting period uh, in the band's life. And one of the things, for example, that it would have done for me, and I think for other listeners, is that it introduced you to, to, to political themes. And, and, you know, so I think that's, you know, that for me has always been a very special song. I really like In God's Country. It's a bit of a throwaway Um but it's you know the band were never particularly attached to it but it's upbeat it's positive and the one track that i don't particularly like by the way is trip to your wires which you know is very much rattling home sort of stuff for me but but it's but it's there and i would probably say the other track uh, my my three standouts would be redhead mountain town um in god's country but running to stand still um is is a track that's always really spoken to me of course it's more firmly located in dublin and um, particularly in ballymon it deals with the the you know heroin heroin addiction and a couple who are wrapped up in that um, and i see seven towers and i only see one way out and i just think it that, that after all these years again it still packs an emotional punch and um you know there was a great version of it done um for the simon community at christmas led by uh glenn hansard um well led by bono but glenn hansard of course organized that concert and um, and i was really pleased to hear how good it still sounds uh, after all this time um, and i think there's a universality uh, in that track and again that speaks to the success of this band that they're able you know you said it earlier dan about doing some, a simple thing really, really well, but their universality uh, is mm. key to their success, that it speaks to people all over the world. And um, now the critiques would say that the critics rather would say this kind of this bland globalism um, is, you know, is at, at this constant eye towards commercial success is deeply cynical. Um, and, you know, look, part of the interesting thing about you too is the critiques of you too, and that's out there. Um, but I think running to stand still is just a terrific, uh, is just a terrific, uh, emotional sort of tune. I think in general the album is quite is is a little bit more experimental maybe than they get credit for. I mean, I read a critique of you two today by Dave Lorden, who's a poet who I admire greatly, and and he did a very stinging critique uh, of of Bono. And one of his points about you two was one of the reasons why their success is their ability to take things that have been done very well on the underground and make them commercially successful. Now, I think he was, he was, he was correct in that. Um, but I think a lot of times here on this record, you hear a bit of experimentation. Um, and, you know, I think a song like One Tree Hill, which of course was written about Greg Carl, who had been close to the band and had tragically died in a motorbike uh, accident in, in Dublin. Um, a track like Mothers Have Disappeared. Uh, they don't really, they're, they're quite unique um, and they're quite original. And, uh, you know, for you two to be able to both be experimental and be universal 
uh, on a record uh, is really, really key to their success. And, you know, for me, um, I, I mean, I, I, it's an album that I can listen to again and again and again and still come back to for more. Um, but it's anthemic, I mean, this record. And one of the things when we asked for feedback was one of the one someone on Twitter said that uh, it's an it's an anchor, it's been an anchor for me in hard times. And again, you know, you can be you could be very it's easy to get cynical and it's easy to sort of say, oh, God, like, you know, you know, you know, bottle tests are patients, uh, to put it mildly. And, you know, you, you two are just trying to constantly ride the wave. But th- th- this record, it's difficult for me to be cynical about it because it emotionally connects with people. Um, and I just find it difficult to be to be cynical about that. Then, you know, what about I mean, you? What are your top three tracks? What's better than 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 riding a wave, though, you know, on the the precipice between chaos and order like that's that's what you two do you know they're they're always they always grasp the zeitgeist by two hands and make it their own you know so i think that's an incredible incredible thing to be able to do as an artist and like you mentioned songs there like red hill mining town and running to stand still which deal with topics like the as you said the the miners strike in the uk and um heroin addiction in dublin and it's very easy sometimes to take social issues like those things, right? And write a song about them. And then to kind of come across as a bit trite and kind of like, I don't know, kind of like you're harping back too far into the past for it to be authentic, you know? You two don't do that on this album. Like, the, the, the songs stand up to this day and they don't sound trite to me. They don't sound, they, they, they do sound authentic, you know? Um, and, and, and I really like them. I like your point as well about it being more experimental than people give it credit for. And it goes back to the point you made earlier on, first of all, in terms of uh, Bono trying to grow constantly as a musician and, and, and being influenced by his peers, such as Keith Richards and, and Mick Jagger and, and others around him and being challenged by them and then trying to make genres that he wasn't familiar with his own. Um, and he did it an awful lot. Even uh, on on uh, even to this day, he still takes um, influence from the likes of Keith Richards, like Red Hill Mining Town, that m- new mix that you mentioned briefly, and the horns and so on. I think it was Keith Richards who actually suggested moving up the horns in the mix and making them more prominent and so on, which is just a kind of an interesting side point of how he kind of had an influence on the track right back to the very start. Yeah, that's still has one to this day, and um, but. Another track that uh, I think you can see them, uh, it's it's kind of an obvious thing to say, but I think Bullet the Blue Sky is quite uh, experimental in some senses. And it's kind of, it's, it's one of those moments where the Bono that causes so much kind of uh, contention began to emerge. And because I, I'll give you the, the famous thing about this song is that, um, like it's a it's a fantastic song. I love it. Right. He turned around to Edge when they were when they were making the song and he said, I want your guitar to sound like Cal Salvador. Like. If you're a guitarist and your singer turns around and says that to you, like it can be hard to kind of figure out what it is they actually mean, you know, Um, I think when I played uh, the guitar earlier on, it sounded like, uh, I don't know, it sounded like Dunn Stores or, 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 or the, 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 the little middle aisle or something like that. But 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 um, 
yeah, but 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 Edge definitely kind of captured that. But you can imagine Bono kind of he's a young man, he's surrounded by the Mick Jaggers, the Keith Richards, he's meeting with Bob Dylan, Van Morrison, and all these legends. It's going to his head a little bit, and he's like, Man, I want your guitar to sound like El Salvador. So you can kind of begin to and then the American accent he puts on in the in the track. Now Bono was never adverse to uh putting on accents like in in earlier songs like story for boys on the first album he puts on a a strange kind of english accent um, and then he puts on a heavy american accent on a bullet the blue sky and he always kind of played characters in the songs um but yeah it's it's definitely one of the songs that stand out to me as a kind of experimental yeah i mean it's interesting you know the, the thing about the, the thing about um, Bono in particular is that he 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 attracts very strong uh, criticism, and to be honest with you, you know, I, I I don't think that we should necessarily just because somebody attracts criticism and just because they make mistakes doesn't you know that's not necessarily a bad thing um, in the sense that you know it doesn't mean that everything about them can be dismissed or should be dismissed. I mean, everybody deserves to be judged, for want of a better word, in the round. But to be honest with you, you know, I I think that, you know, when you see what Bono was, was able to achieve on this record, I mean, this we can only talk about this record really because we've only got the, we're, we're limited on time. You know, what he managed to achieve on this record is a unique emotional connection with a global audience which they have kept for the past 35 years mm. uh, he managed to uh, connect the audience to a range of social and political themes that were very very interesting and um, that you know that challenged maybe people now you you you, you there is a there is a there's a very very strong commercial feel about this because they knew quite well what they were doing moving very firmly into the north american market and spotting that sort of gap for a big political voice so as you said they were riding the wave and they knew they were riding the wave um but i mean i i, I had the great privilege and pleasure of seeing them live on the joshua tree tour when they did it in crow park and it was without doubt the best U2 performance that I've seen over five U2 uh, shows. And to be honest, I mean, the two best U2 albums for me are the Joshua Tree and Actung Baby. And this pips Actung Baby for me because it's in, in terms of its significance for the band and in terms of where it puts the band, because things got very clever by Actung Baby. They had learned to play with fame. They'd learned about irony. They learned about, you know, how to do the, you know, it, it was it was it was a lot of smoke and mirrors. But in 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 Joshua Tree, just a straight up, this is a, a rock band saying, "Here we are. This is who we are." And uh, yeah, you know, thirty five years on, for me, it still it still delivers. And I'm very, I mean, some of it was recorded in a lot. Sorry, it was recorded in in Ratfarnham or the foothills of the Wicklow Mountains, as 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 Edge has described. This you can describe Ratfarnham as that, as if you like. Close to St. Columbus College, where um, where Adam had been expelled famously uh, as a as a student, um, so not too far from me. And I and I think that in a way that when you look back at you know music from you know there's a certain number of albums in each decade that remain crucial. And in twenty or thirty or forty years time, when people look back at the eighties, you know this is one of the albums that people will say is a crucial crucial record of that period and of that time. Um, and I've no doubt that it'll stand that sort of test of time. And, you know, for me, it's just a collection 
of of really fine, really interesting songs that you know very much influenced me as a music listener. And uh, you know, very much. I mean, one of the things that we haven't really touched on that so far because we've really talked about mine and yours relationship with this record it's had a huge influence uh on 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 you know not just on youtube fans obviously but on musicians i mean people like noel gallagher have talked about the importance for them and what that record did for them and so very influential record in its own right and you know for me this is this is just this album just going to stand the test of time and now interestingly as i said earlier it is the album that is the most u2 sounding of albums i mean when you think of u2 you think of this sound and when they rebelled against that sound later, uh, sorry, they, they, when they rebelled against the U2 sound, for want of a better word, you know, the, the whole thing of Acting Baby being the sound of, you know, four, four guys chopping down the Joshua Tree, you know, it's it's the Joshua Tree is the key reference point in their career. Um, and of course, for the band, look, it's well known. It elevates them to the status of global superstar. So they had played one stadium gig on the, on the Unforgettable Far Tour. They did a, uh, an open air show in Crow Park. But this is the, the album that brings them into the sort of uh, the league of the globe trotting outdoor um, you know, Wembley Stadium, Crow Park, all the big outdoors, you know, the big outdoor gigs. It, it elevates them to that. And so, so for and without this record, I don't think they would have got there. So it's a hugely significant record for them. Um, and I think it's one that I'm going to be listening to for many, many years. Yeah, de- definitely. Like, <clears throat> it just my final word on the whole Bono thing, you two thing, right? Bono is an absolute legend, right? If you want an ordinary man, go to a Christy Moore gig. You'll love it. It's brilliant. I love Christy Moore. I love his gigs. He talks kind of, he sings Salt of the Earth songs, acoustic guitar. Brilliant. Love him. You don't get that with Bono, though. You don't get that with U2. U2 are a massive rock and roll experience. They're a, a stadium band. They're, they're larger than life. And I want my front man of our Irish larger than life band to be as kind of bombastic and out there and kind of, you know, interesting as Bono has been throughout his career. He's, he's, he's been an incredible, um, an, an incredible kind of uh, showman and reinventing himself time after time and playing different roles and different characters. And like, in order to pull that off, you need to have a bit of, ego a bit of swagger a bit of kind of larger than life about your personality and with that comes criticism and all of that so you do have to judge um judge him in the round i think if you judge him based on this album and if you judge the band based on this album there's no doubt that you two deserve deservably hold their position as one of the greatest bands in the world and i think they're a band that uh, we should be very very proud of um, here in yeah. here in and, Ireland, and, 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 and I think, in, in fairness, I, I think one of the there's a kind of a when when it comes to the politics of the band, the, the politics of the band are quite mainstream now. Um, I don't think they necessarily were in '87 when they wrote the Joshua Tree, because on the one hand, it's a huge embrace of the American dream, but it's a there's there's, there's a there's a there's a there's a hell of a lot of of pointed criticisms of YouTube of of U.S. foreign policy and. You know, when you look at the politics of the band, they they do often embrace very mainstream causes. They are, of course, very heavily associated with uh, celebrity and politicians, and they 
but they also continue to do interesting things. I mean, any show that I've ever been at by you two raises causes and concerns that are ignored by loads of others. So, I mean, in fairness, you have to look at it in the round. I mean, for example, in the last tour that they did, Songs of, of Experience um, and Songs of Innocence on both tours, they championed very much uh, the cause of victims of uh, in Ireland of, of injustice by the British state. Mm. So, you know, again, that is, you know, it, it, it has to be looked at in the round and in its totality. Now, I think that the 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 Joshua Tree, quite apart from the politics of the record, there is a very strong spiritual vibe running, running through, through quite a lot of it. Um, but again, the, the the trick of this record is that it elevates you twos, as you say, I like what you talked about there, the size of the personality. It it gives you something to see. Um, somebody I say somebody on Twitter described it as an anchor, but it gives you something that you can critique. So I'm totally up for critiques of Bono and critiques of you too. I agree with a lot of it. I share some of it. Um, but but I think it's to the credit that they've given us something to critique, that they didn't just do a bland, vague rock experience. I mean, nobody debates the killer's views on, on global politics because, frankly, we don't know what they are. And it's not a critique of the killers who I also love, but it's just to say that, you know, you two bring those concerns onto the record. They put them there. Um, and, you know, I think they deserve to be judged in the round for that. And I mean, if they have mellowed politically with age, you know, everyone mellow, everyone except Paul Dillon and Tony Benn and uh, mellow politically <laughs> with age. Um, so you, you can't blame them for that. Look, this has been the big album show. It's been our episode on um, the Joshua Tree by you 2 We really appreciate everyone listening and um, yeah. particularly you, yes. Bono. We look forward to chatting to you on our episode about pop in a few weeks time. Yes. And um, just just uh, drop into our DMs and we'll, we'll sort it out. But um, I was once at a function with Bono and uh, I had the great um the great honor of rubbing shoulders with him. He was standing right beside me and he was talking away to Shane McGowan and I got a cheeky picture on my phone, but it was a public thing. So it wasn't, it wasn't anything unethical about it, but uh, I was completely starstruck. It was, it was fantastic. And, um, but look, thank you for listening. Do like, and uh, like, like us on, on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, engage with us, talk to us. And, um, listen back to the other shows we do have an episode that we did with luke o'neill uh, professor luke o'neill on octung baby and um, it was a really really enjoyable episode so i'd recommend you go and listen to that and um, if you've enjoyed this episode thanks very much thank you you're listening to the big album show with paul and dan please remember to subscribe hit like and remember to follow us on our social media platforms at the big album show 